This is Continuum Drag, a weekly podcast revisiting television, sci-fi, fantasy, and everything in between. This week, Invasion America, episodes one and two. I've always been a loner, never exactly fit in. Mom says all teenagers feel that way. Doesn't help much. I am different, and I don't know why. Welcome to Continuum Drag, the podcast for moody teen loners. I'm Luke, here with my co-host Jordan. What's real, Jordan? I think you're right. Do you think you would have loved this when you were a moody teen? Um, I'm not sure. I was like looking at the YouTube comments. This definitely hit a bunch of people at the right time for sure. I'm, I'm not sure I would have been one of them or not. Yeah, I, it, it does feel like if this had come out at a time where I was that appropriate age, I think I probably would have been into this. It hits some of the beats I like, but I don't think, I think it's that, it's just not maybe the tropes of sci-fi I love the most, so, uh, it, but I could see... There's not enough bureaucratic paperwork for you? Yeah, if it had been slightly different, I might have come on board. Right, right. <laughs> anyway, this week we're watching a new series, Invasion America, something I've picked because I, I wanted to give us something new, something we haven't really done before, and it's it's our first animated television show. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, first cartoon, we haven't done a cartoon no, we've had some requests for cartoons. I think I'm the one who stopped us because uh, I'm an adult. <laughs> <laughs> you believe cartoons are just for children. <laughs> no, it's not that they're just for children, but I think most of the cartoons they make are designed for children. Certainly that's the case. There are some. Ad- this one in particular, uh, somewhere in between, I think Young Adult is probably the, uh, the audience. Yeah, it was, yeah. It, it, it was a primetime television program that was on the WB in 1998. And uh, I think it was certainly intended to be, I think, as a miniseries. Because from what I could see on the um, sort of release schedule, it seemed to come out in chunks of two. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. Did I read that this also was intended as like one long story? Like it was aired as one whatever, like three hour movie or something? I mean, it certainly makes sense since every episode ends with a to be continued. And yeah. is certainly like serialized like it's definitely intended to go from episode to episode like you couldn't just drop in i don't think halfway through no 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 definitely based on the two episodes i've seen anyway um but yeah it's funny actually that you uh you find cartoons for children um i didn't say that i said most of the cartoons are specifically designed for children that is something uh my mother hates as well i found out we were gonna watch i think fantastic mr fox or something with her and uh, she was just like, oh, I don't like movies with critters in them. <laughs> Your mom sounds all right. And I was like, what do you mean critters? And uh, I had to drag it out of her. But in her mind, a movie that's animated is a movie with critters. That's so if she if she's thinking of a cartoon, she's thinking of critters. There is an argument for that. Because again, my problem with a lot of this stuff is you just see the same thing over and over and over. And adding a couple adult jokes to have the parents okay does not mean it is now designed for everybody. <laughs> you know it's like it's a, a cartoon of a silly adventure and like but they made a fart joke for dad it's like okay <laughs> when you're a dad you'll understand yeah maybe <laughs> you'll be like oh that fart joke was for me <laughs> <laughs> i'm glad i paid 45 dollars to take my children to the movies now uh i think it, it's pretty a uh, pretty evident from what we're talking about you had no aware of awareness of this as it as it came out this is no, the first no. time you're hearing about it all i know is that the opening uh opening font that they use looks exactly like unsolved mysteries that's all i know it does have an unsolved mysteries vibe that opening font huh yeah i loved it that that's that might be the best thing 
I also un- completely unaware of this show until I, I think I came across it in some research for this podcast. So WB must have really be coming out gangbusters in the late 90s, huh? Yeah, I mean, this must have been around the time they like came out as a network aimed at kind of a young adult market. Like mm. it does feel like a precursor and I could be wrong. Maybe it's already out, but I feel like it happens later. But it does feel like a precursor to Roswell, their later um, alien teen show. Right, right. Yeah. Anyway, before we get into it, Jordan, why don't I give you a little taste of the world between June 8th and July 7th, 1998. Ooh, 1998. We're, everyone was wearing uh, um, bowling shirts. That was like the fashion. I feel like everyone was getting their first MP3 player. <laughs> I wasn't. I was a little behind the times. <laughs> um, in, so in 1998, there are two, two things of, uh, I guess, science-y, science fiction-y interest for us, Jordan. Mm-hmm. June 25th. Microsoft releases Windows 98. Oh, yeah. Was that a big one? The future is now. Was that a big one? I know 95 was a big one. Was 98 as big? Yeah, I think 98, every second one I think is good. I believe 98 was one of the ones that like existed for a while. Right. I could be wrong. Maybe it's one of the shitty ones. Who knows? (laughs) I think it's not the one with the cast of Friends. I don't know what that is. I think it was 95. They got like two of the cast of friends to do a bunch of like how to videos. Oh, really? Oh, I don't remember that at all. You can watch Rachel and like Chandler explain how to use Windows to you. <laughs> what a, a lovely idea for Microsoft. They must have got paid so much money. Oh, yeah. That was a huge payday, I am sure. Maybe I'm wrong though. Maybe it was 98. Someone will tell us. Anyway, uh, the other thing of note I have in this period is since it's so short, like this thing aired for a month on July 5th. Japan launches a Mars probe and becomes the third space exploring nation to enter uh, the universe. Hmm. Yeah, and it's still only three, isn't it? I think hasn't India made it up there now? Oh, I'm not sure. I don't know. I have to. Ch- I'll have to check with my NASA friends. Yeah, all your inside men mm-hmm. and women. <laughs> nice save. <laughs> um, anyway. One thing I was going to note for us, and maybe I'll start doing this since we've watched so many shows now. Nothing we watched aired at the same time as this, Mm -hmm. but we did have watched two other shows that aired during 1998. One in January was Warlord Battle for the Galaxy. Oh, yeah, yeah. Classic. Or The Osiris Chronicles. If if you prefer. Yeah. And then in September of that year, so a couple months after this ends, Ultraviolet was on. Oh, wait. Which one's Ultra? Oh, oh, the, the British vampire show. Yeah, that's the one. Oh, yeah. I like that show. Uh, but that's that's what's happened in the world around this period of time for Invasion America. It's dark sci-fi. That's the time. Here's the I'm to be summary for episode one, The Legend. Kale Osha, <laughs> leader of planet Tyrus, learns of a plan to invade America and Earth. When he refuses, the de- the sorry, the Dragot stages a coup and tries to kill him. Kale meets an Earth woman, Rita Carter. And together, they have a son, bracket, David, and bracket, before Kale returns to Tyrus. Okay, I'm going to tell you one thing. I refuse to learn the names of all these characters and all these things. <laughs> <laughs> it's not going to happen. You don't, want, you don't want to learn the great names of Kale and the Grabbit? Yeah, it's not going to happen. <laughs> well, I've got him here for you. So yeah, good, good. I knew you would. Uh, the series opens on a helicopter flying over the Utah Badlands. Um, this is a uh, major Stark and I guess his uh, cohort assistant Angie. Yeah. Um, they're they're flying to a cave where there's a giant alien monster skeleton that's only been there for twenty years. Yeah, and I like that they're like uh, uh, the first thing they're having this conversation with whoever the archaeologist or whoever it is that's uncovered it, and they're like, "Is this a dinosaur?" I was like, "Guys, it doesn't look anything like a dinosaur. It looks exactly like an alien monster." 
<laughs> I thought it was a dinosaur at first. Did you? Okay. Well, I'm glad you'd be very glad that uh, uh, Stark and Angie are there then. I know. I needed it explained to me. It was the one nice thing of starting this show, like them flying over the Utah Badlands in a helicopter. I'm just like, oh, this is kind of the nice part of animation is you can kind of get away with a few more like cool helicopter things mm-hmm. you might not be able to do normally. And this is the time period where you're going to get a little bit of blend of CGI animation and classic hand-drawn animation. And oh man, oh man, do these two styles not blend together? <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I actually remember this time period where it would stop you in your tracks because it, it does visually look different, but they're obviously trying to use the technology as much as they can. It is funny. I watched a trailer on Netflix. There's I don't know. I don't watch these shows, but I sometimes put on a trailer. There's some like anime that's was put on netflix where like it's medieval and they fight a dragon in it or something but i put on the trailer and it's all like 2d cell drawn kind of animation for the anime but the dragon's just like a 3d monster and it still doesn't blend right right i'm just like these things don't look the same yeah anyways it is a bit of a timestamp on this but uh i mean that's the decision they made it is funny though would you say that cg animation is Better or worse than uh, Star Command, the TV movie we just watched. Oh, <laughs> it's it's probably on par, actually, I'd say. It, I would say that's the one thing. I was like, I'm like, oh, this 3D animation isn't great, but it's not any worse than that other show. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Anyway, we hop over from Utah to Glenport, Massachusetts, where we watch a very Celentine do gymnastics, like uh, even rings, I guess maybe they're called. He's he's flipping around in the dark of his gymnasium giving us a voiceover about how he's such a loner in this town. Yeah. And I'm just like, are we going to watch a school shooting? (laughs) Oh, I didn't think that at all. I just thought they were just hitting that trope of, and I was just begging for him to not be like the chosen one who discovers his actual powers and how he's the hero they've already been waiting for, which is 100% what this is going to be. I mean, this is 98, so it's probably a year too soon. But like, if this had come out a year later, they would have had to rewrite that character because that opening monologue is just like, no one here understands me. I'm such a dark Celentine and have no friends, which is then undercut by his friend in a letterman's jacket walking in being like, yo, bro, you're so good at that. Yeah, it is weird, isn't it? Because I guess they want you to like him, but they also want you to think he's cool, but he's also maybe popular, but he doesn't care about it. My main thing, though, is he has enormous eyes, and we'll find out why, because a lot of characters have these enormous eyes, but no one seems to mention it. Well, let's keep going, because we'll get into that, I think. We should talk about this character design as we get to it, but... Yeah. Anyways, yeah. he's a bad boy. After he does his gymnastics, they're like, time to ride a motorbike. That like, and it's like, is this the J.J. Abrams Star Trek? It is very funny. He's like, comes in, his buddy's just like, hey, I know your mom won't let you get your driver's license, but why don't you drive my motorcycle around while I ride behind you? Like, I hold your waist and ride behind you. And I'm just like, if your friend doesn't know how to drive, you do not get let him drive your motorcycle. Yeah, it's true. But it's it's a something that's going to be, it's an indicative scene of what we will see throughout at least these two episodes is that every couple minutes they have to stick in some sort of action scene and i i don't know yet if it's too early to say if this is a good thing or a bad thing for the show but it's as if they they go well we have this animation we can do all this sort of stuff and we need to keep people's attention so about every four or five minutes there's some explosion or a chase scene or some sort of action and that's that's what's going to happen right now is a bike scene yeah, it's a big race. He's like driving recklessly through his small town. As I was watching this, I'm like, no driver's license. Neither of them are wearing a helmet. They're driving way too fast. And then the cop starts chasing them. And they're like, and his buddy's like, maybe we should slow down. And he's like, no way. And then finally they like almost hit a tractor and fall off the bike. Luke, he's a renegade. You can't tell him what to do. 
And uh, this is where we meet his father's former friend, or I guess his father's friend. I don't know. We think his father's dead at this point, but this guy gets off. He's the sheriff of town. And this is where he also takes off his sunglasses. And he has even bigger giant eyes. Yeah, yeah. He's got. But did you notice, though, he had normal sunglasses? And the implication is he has the sunglasses on to kind of cover his face a little bit. But if his eyes are so big, they'd be barely covering anything. Yeah, I was just like, is he using these to hide his horrible deformity? <laughs> I just like the idea, though, of having eyes that are maybe four to five times larger than normal eyes, but then still wearing tiny sunglasses that just cover your pupils. <laughs> I mean, they were they were classic aviators. He's a real cop. Yeah, yeah. It's very funny, though. The cop, like, gets there. He's just like, you guys shouldn't drive so recklessly. He's like, but you know what? Since I was your dad's friend, you're off the hook. They've, like, actually had property damage and could have killed someone or themselves. And he's like, ah, well, boys will be boys. Well, it's funny. Even the guys, even this uh, this David Kidd's friend in the later episodes, just like, if that had been me, the sheriff would have put me in jail. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, all right, this is just classic corruption. I mean, use what you got. But what it is is we quickly get a voiceover monologue by this uh, this sheriff character named Rafe who pulls them over, and he's just like, pulls off his sunglasses to reveal his giant eyeballs. He's just like, when am I gonna have to tell him the truth? Dun, dun, dun. And you're like, oh, I again, I hope it's not that he's uh, the son of some sort of prince and that he's destined for greatness. Yeah, as so we jump 17 years into the past where this giant uh, computer animated ship is flying toward Earth and we meet this alien race, the Tyrosians with giant eyeballs. What did you think about this decision that after, because what we're going to find out is this, the present day is sort of bookending the majority of the episode, which is in the past, to give you this back history to fill you in. What did you think of that decision? Do you think do you think it worked structurally? I think it's very funny. I mean, because I think we've talked about it's supposed to be like one giant serialized arc, I think they can maybe get away with it. But I did find it hilarious. And you say it bookends, but I will argue that it doesn't because we basically go into a flashback for the rest of the episode that wraps up at the start of the next episode. Oh, so that's true. That's true. In a flashback for the entire pilot and then a little bit of the second episode never to see this david character in his teenage form again you're probably right as a whole it probably makes a little more sense but i thought it was a little bit jarring for a first episode to be like here's introduce some characters anyways forget about them here's what happened in the past to to fill you in on the story you don't know anything about it is i think we'll meet most of these characters again but i did find it very funny as well i'm just like oh bold move to make this a flashback for the most part but i'll tell you something i do like in the um when we go to space, and obviously we'll fill in the, the blanks here a little bit, but one thing I liked was they show a scene of how the ships are launched, and what you have is this really long, I don't know what kind of spiky ship, and what you see is the spikes sort of spin, almost like little gears, and as they spin, the ships are shot off, like they're propelled off. Right, uh, they build up momentum. Yeah, and I thought, I was like, that's pretty cool, I've never seen that before, and I actually thought for the CGI, it had a pretty good little effect. It's not the worst. Like, the big ship they're on... It's not the worst. (laughs) It's not the worst. I would say that, like, the ship design and the alien, like, ship design was some of the more interesting elements of it. You know what I would love to see in a ship? And I noticed this because there's a great scene where you have the characters walking for the first time and the doors open. I've never seen a sci-fi ship where they just have a normal doorknob and the door swings open. That's what we need to see in sci-fi. Everyone has decided there's too much waste of space in the future. You have to have automatic doors in the future. You You can't have a manual one. Yeah. Anyway, yes, this is us meeting this big alien race, the the Tyre Oceans. As we mentioned, giant eyeballs. This is their character design. They look almost human, except their eyes are just, like, way too oblong. 
I think they might have slightly different foreheads too. They sort of have a slight reptilian kind of look to them, at least because I think the eyeballs are supposed to be so prominent and maybe almost kind of wind around a little bit. They have basically infiltrated Earth and are living amongst us, but with giant eyes. <laughs> it's a dead giveaway. It's not terrible. Like I'm like I'm like I guess you might think these people just have a. Uh, some sort of disorder that gives them a giant eye but also the character design watching those eyes i found it like very unnerving every time i had to look at one of their faces in close-up it's just something about it's just so it's an uncanny valley it's just so slightly off yeah that i just found it gross to look at before they even introduce when you first meet uh what's the, the main kid's name stevie what's his name david david uh when you first meet him I was like, God, they really uh, decided to have him have some weird looking eyes. And then I was like, oh, it's an actual character point. Yeah, he his eyes are like somewhere between a human eye and an alien eye. And then the alien eyes are just slightly wider. <laughs> well, you know, Luke, that if you have an alien breed with a human, what you're going to get is just a slightly different version of both. If Star Trek's taught us anything. Yeah, exactly. It's you're going to get a Bajoran with a nose ridge that's not as prominent. Exactly. Your forehead ridges are just a little smoother. <laughs> um, but yes, th- this alien race is coming to Earth. We meet their king, whose name is Kale. Kale Ula. Ula means king. Kale being the first name. Of course. Of course. And he's got a power glove. It's insane that we kind of meet him. We kind of like, oh, we're going to Earth to meet the new base we've set up. Oh, my king, you better put on your glove for protection. And it's just like a silver Michael Jackson style glove that goes on one hand. How many shows have we seen now where someone has had a power glove? I mean, this was the least technological I've seen. It was just like a man making a fashion statement. (laughs) Well, we do see later that it does stuff. But I do like that if there is a futuristic apparel item that you need, it's got to be a power glove. I was kind of hoping this would have flame shoot out of its fingers like that one from Otherworld. No, if only. Did you catch the name of the glove? Uh, I did not. It's the Exitar, Jordan. <laughs> oh, sure. Yeah, the Exitar. Of course it is. Um, they're coming to Earth. They've all learned to speak English, or as they call it, Earth speak? Earth speak, yeah, yeah. How's my Earth speak, Jordan? They have a couple things like that, which is they could speak English perfectly well, but then they have a couple weird turns of phrases for some reason. Um, anyway, they're on their way to Earth. Apparently, they've been there for decades. The king's uncle, the the dragget, the dagget, I think I believe that's what they call him. Mm-hmm. Something like that. He's apparently been there, apparently to establish trade with Earth, like friendly relations and trade. But instead, he's been spending his time building a military base in an abandoned Utah Air Force base and planning an invasion. I, the timeline's insane. This is 17 years before the start of the movie, before the start of the series. He's been there for apparently decades beforehand with his right-hand band, a general who has infiltrated the American military as a general, played by Leonard Nimoy. And it's funny, I didn't recognize, and I haven't looked it up, but I didn't recognize any of the other voice actors, but Leonard Nimoy, you know right away. Yeah, you recognize him immediately. Like, I'll be honest, it's a little distracting (laughs) because he has such a uh, distinctive voice. I mean, at this point, I was just like, General Leonard Nimoy is here. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Anyways, but you're right. So we basically, this story is now taking us back to, shall we say, maybe the 50s, 60s? 50s or 60s. Because as we get there, the Daggett's planning an invasion of Earth, starting with America, the most important country. Well, well, it's interesting. But there's a little bit of anti-American content here because they say the reason they start with America is it's sort of like this sort of propensity for policing the world, essentially. 
Yeah, they're they're worried about their capacity for violence and that the only thing America respects is a superior force. Mm -hmm. And so they thought, well, we'll give them alien weapons. Yeah. So they've been, I guess, building a base in order to build an armada to later do an invasion of Earth. And uh, King Kale's just like, when he finds out, he's just like, no way, guys. I'm not invading Earth. What's up with this? And then we get, again, one of the, it's, uh, you know, five minutes have passed by, so it's time for an action sequence. They're like, oh, you don't think you're going to invade? They're like, no way. And then guys show up with guns, and they all have terrible aim, and they all start shooting lasers, and a big uh, action fight scene happens where they're running away, and they're shooting, and they're running, and then they eventually get out, and it, uh, honestly, it's probably like, what, a good five minutes of action of just it's running a big, and shooting? Yeah, it's, it's a big running and shooting sequence that I guess is supposed to be some sort of assassination or like usurping attempt by his uncle. Um, but yes, you're right. It, it, all that really happens is Kale and Rafe are trying to escape. They do get to release the Manglers, though. <laughs> Oh, yeah. And right away, you you know that they look just like the alien uh, skeleton that you saw at the beginning of this episode, if you were paying attention, which I kind of was. But they, they sort of look like, what would you say? They're sort of like a mix of a raptor and uh, an alien from Alien, sort of. I thought they basically were an off-brand xenomorph. Like, they actually look almost identical to the dog alien in Alien 3. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, on four legs long tail with a spike on it their faces are a little bit different but essentially they are like xenomorph knockoffs that are chasing them around Uh um but as this is all happening it just so happens that a human woman rita carter is breaking into this abandoned air force base in utah for some reason yeah i was gonna say they never do explain it right all we know is here's what we learn about her she loves driving jeeps she loves breaking into unauthorized areas and uh, the outfit she chose for this was a shirt tied into an, a front knot. Well, Jordan, I think you missed the most key thing to her character that explains it all. What's that? As she drives into the abandoned Air Force Jeep, the camera pushes in on her bumper that has a bumper sticker that says, Rockhounds have more fun. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't see that at all. It, that is, I think, supposed to explain why she's there, uh, what's happening. But I was just like, what is a rockhound? Well, what do you think of Rockhand? Do you think it's someone who climbs rock faces? I think initially my assumption was, oh, she's some sort of climber of rocks. But now I'm wondering, <laughs> is she like just a geologist or something? What was the expression again? What was the, the term? Rockhounds? A rockhound. You know, you know who rockhounds were? They're the people that loved uh, Trace and Gina. Oh, yeah, they're the fans, the Rockhounds. <laughs> I love, by the way, I love making references to previous episodes because I know that no one is listening to other episodes. So it's, it, it, it's, just for, it's just for you and me. If you haven't seen Otherworld, you're missing out, yeah, apparently. Yeah, exactly. It's even worse, actually, if you go back to get the reference. It's so, such a letdown. <laughs> it's like, oh, I got to go check out episode 120. Like, ugh, that was terrible. <laughs> um, but yes, for no apparent reason, Rita Carter is driving to this Air Force base and breaking in. When she gets there, she, of course, sees this alien uh, coup in progress, and she drives her Jeep over, picks up old King Kale, and uh, rescues him from the onslaught of xenomorphs and lasers. Let's say you're a rockhound, which I know you are, and you're out in the middle of the night, and you're driving to go do rockhound kind of activity, and you see this big fight out. Would you drive in and randomly grab someone and save them? 
because I'm telling you, I wouldn't. I, I don't know what's happened here. I don't want to get involved. I don't know who the good guy or bad guys is. I just turn, I just back it up and uh, go back home. No, I think that's the thing to do, Jordan. I think you, when you come into a gunfight of any sort, you just pull up to the first person you see and you say, <laughs> get in, I'll rescue you. Yeah. And they look at you and be like, what are you talking about? I get why that why it is that way, but it's so funny to have introduced this character who we know nothing about as a way to get out of a situation. And it is great because he jumps in her Jeep they send a Earth military helicopter after them to, I guess, kill them. And they're driving on this cliffside. It's like wall on one side, cliff on the other. This helicopter pulls up and starts firing its, like, Gatling gun at them. Mm-hmm. They dive out of the Jeep, and the Jeep sails off the cliff, hits the helicopter, <laughs> exploding both. And then it cuts back to General Nemo, and he's just like, well, we got him. Well, uh, yeah, they go, yeah, we got him. I love this, that, like, oh, we don't need to check. But what I really enjoy is the uh, one guy after he says, uh, well, we got him, The uh, I guess the general in charge goes, you've done really well. And the guy's like, thanks. And I thought, you've not done well at all. Look, look behind you. There's, like, explosions. The ship is blown up. The helicopter is gone. They've lost, like, all of those monster things. I'm like, they didn't do well at all. You've really exposed your secret alien invasion base. Yeah, exactly. It's like, you've done well. I'm like, wow, the threshold for uh, for uh, compliments is very low. <laughs> what a job, though. Eh? You just blew up half the base. Good work. Good work, my friend. I wish I got raise. that at work. I'm like, you killed <laughs> 10 people. I'm like, but honestly. We made our day. We made our day. <laughs> um, anyway, what kind of happens here is Rita now takes old Kale to hide in a cave where um, she immediately notices... A, his giant eyes. B, his superhuman healing ability. And Kale just like outright just like, hey, Rita, you do Earth speak good. <laughs> Did you write it down? What does he say she is? Because he has a phrase for a woman. Well, it's so weird because he's just like impressed by her Earth speak, which is I'm just like, oh, does he think she's like an alien? Does he think she's one of the aliens from the base? And like, he's just confused. And she and he's just like, are you, uh, so you must be an earth loofah. And I was just like, <laughs> okay. And he's like, in my language, that means earth woman. And I'm just like, just say earth woman, man. You're talking English. <laughs> I loved it. Uh, oh, but we should mention that they do. There's a scene earlier on when we first meet all the, uh, uh, these alien people, they are speaking their alien language, which I liked. Yeah. Uh, I liked the fact that our, uh, YouTube video was subtitled in maybe Portuguese. So I have no <laughs> idea what they said. I like that too. But I was just like, you don't need it. You don't need to know. It doesn't matter. You really don't. I actually think more shows should just not bother subtitling alien or foreign languages. Just let you get the gist of it. I agree. Can you imagine um, watching that first season of Star Trek Discovery where they had those insufferable Klingons going on and on with Klingon language and they just didn't have any any text underneath? You just had to get the gist of it from body language. Yeah. Just them going with their like mush mouths because of the terrible makeup. (laughs) Anyways, Um, heads up. That show sucks. If you didn't know already, Jordan's not a fan. <laughs> not a fan. Well, I mean, it sucks. I mean, what are you going to say? <laughs> anyway, so basically he revealed to her very clearly, I am an alien. And Rita Carter could not be uh, less concerned with this revelation. <laughs> no, she's just all like, cool, alien. Anyways, maybe we should get it on. Yeah. Well, that's kind of what happens is we basically go from this cave. I think he fights a monster and that's how the cave skeleton, like he, the mangler shows up. He yeah. kills a mangler with his, his silver glove. That's how the, that's how the skeleton got there. They meet up with old Rafe, his best buddy. And they're like, you know what we got to do? Move to Massachusetts and settle down. Yeah. Because they basically want to hide now because they think the, the gabbit will 
hunt him down? Yeah, maybe. Alive? Anyway, so where you got to go is Boston or wherever they go. Yeah, they go to Massachusetts. They start a family. She gives birth to a toddler, David. So they've been there now uh, at least three years, I would mm-hmm. assume. Yeah. This is where we cut you. She has a kid now. He's a toddler. They have a house. Rafe drops by. He's like, yo, King Kale, I think maybe you should go home and oppose your, your, your uncle's takeover of the government. I'm just like, it's been three years, dude. He missed his shot. But they're also living in like I- idyllic farm life. I don't know what uh, he's doing for a living, but they're just like sitting having mint juleps on the porch. I mean, Rafe became a sheriff, apparently. I, like the time passage in this movie is insane because if you think about it, this started in the 50s. He's arriving to this built up alien presence for this invasion, which we know 17 years in the future hasn't even started yet. And then he hangs out and has a kid for three years with this human woman before he has to go back and attempt to, like, get his throne back. But I'm like, there's no sense of urgency in any of the show. Also, how bad is the availability of men in uh, Utah where, uh, what's the, I don't even know what the woman's name is. Rita? Is that her name? Yeah, Rita Carter. Rita. Like, how bad is it that she has to pick this alien guy with weird eyeballs? Well, I, I don't even know why she's in Utah because she clearly has a home that she lives in in Massachusetts. Why was she there? Oh, no, no. I think they bought that house together. They, they, you know, put down a mortgage. I think they say it's her old family home at some point. It's the Carter. Like, I think oh. they, they call it the Carter residence. Like, it's been in her family for years. Oh, okay. There you go. So, I don't know. At any rate, I couldn't make other tales of it. Um, but this is where the first episode ends, where they're like, hey, maybe you should go home and do something about that coup that happened three years ago. Oh, but no, but the last shot is then we see some shadowy figures in the uh, in the In the forest. trees. Yeah. You couldn't live it, leave it on any more of a cliffhanger. No. Um, let's get into uh, uh, the episode two, then. The sun. Here's the IMDb summary for the sun. In one day, my world has been taken from me. My home. My mom, my life. Why? Why is this happening to me? Kale Osha returns to Tyrus, <laughs> leaving his wife Rita Carter and son David behind. Meanwhile, Major Stark and Sergeant Romer discover the skeleton of a mangler in a cave. That last part happened in the first episode. <laughs> <laughs> but hold on, who wrote that, Luke? Nobody. Nobody? They wouldn't it's take credit? auto-generated on the internet for itself, <laughs> spontaneously created. Um, but yeah, it's, we occasionally continue the story where we left it off. Uh, this time we started off with basically Kale's like, all right, I'm going home. Let's go to this cliffside so I can meet a ship that's going to take me back to Tyrus so I can, I guess, stop this alien coup. So we see him. We see his toddler son, David. We see his wife, Rita, and old Rafe. They're there to see him off. And those uh, shadowy men in trench coats appear and try to, I guess, stop him from leaving. Mm-hmm. And where they appear, they basically just look like old-timey gangsters in trench coats, and there's dozens of them. Yeah, what was the the stylistic choice they made? Because that's clearly what they're going for, is this sort of uh, gangstery type thing. But then it was almost like they're like, well, because these guys look this way, maybe they can fly with their coats? Yeah, they show up and they're like, are just some sort of hit squad that I guess is undercover on Earth. But as soon as they arrive, the king and Rafe are like, oh, no, it's the Galem. I'm glad you wrote down all this stuff because I was just like, yeah, OK, sure. Yeah, but it, like basically a laser fight ensues. What I liked is the king carries a machete with him and just starts hacking people up. <laughs> 
I mean, it's a, a bit of a, a scrambly sort of action scene, but the main point is that does he, he starts running and then they start flying. No, no, I'm mixing stuff up. I'm mixing all these action scenes up. Yeah, no, uh, I think what we see is basically the king's hacking people up with a machete. His uh, his power glove, it shoots lasers apparently also like uh, like Iron Man or something. Mm-hmm. That alien spaceship arrives and then vaporizes the rest of these trench coat mafia. And then they were like, well, good thing we arrived because uh, it's time to go. And... Uh, Old Kale says goodbye to his infant son, David, by doing the weirdest expanding eyeball trick. And we'll see this a whole bunch of, a bunch of times. And it's some sort of, I thought at first it was like an alien equivalent of like a handshake, which is their eyes look at each other and it, the, the. It's, just, it's essentially like the iris expands to engulf the entire face. And then it doesn't like retract. It just disappears and our new eyeball like pops up in its place. Yeah. So it's like this weird sort of flash bulby kind of effect and uh i guess with one person's eyes do it the other person's eyes do it as a response or something yeah and i thought i thought he was passing information to his infant son like this is sort of like mind meld technique but later we'll see more people do it to david and you're right it is appears to be just some sort of like handshake or way to identify you're an alien it's just like if you can do this expanding iris trick you're also from tyrus you know it's an easier way to identify each other giant eyes yeah just gigantic eyeballs yeah. Like, you look like an alien? Is that one way to tell? <laughs> You're like, it is funny that they needed to add this thing. I'm going to assume this is going to have some sort of plot point uh, later on. So as well. But yeah. at this point, yeah, it's just like, oh, yeah. So good thing they have those big eyes because they can do that. And this is where we finally end this flashback to what happened 17 years ago and return to the current time. Because we finally get to go back to old General Stark who found that alien skeleton and he's... He's at the Pentagon. He's running tests. He's confirming this is from outside of our planet. Mm-hmm. He heads off to the White House where General Leonard Nimoy works for some reason. He's worked his way up the, the, the ladder. They've been there for so long to, infiltra- to infiltrate the military to get a, like they had to recruit a guy as what like a initial recruit. He had to work his way up the army chain to become a general who works at the White House. Also, how old is he supposed to be at this point? Because he looked like he was in his 60s in the uh, flashback. Yeah, I don't know. But basically, the uh, the General Stark, who is uh, General Con- Colonel Stark, I think, who's found who found the original alien skeletons, telling General Leonard Nimoy that this alien is from another planet, that they found fingerprints on it, and they relate back to a woman named Rita Carter, who lives in Massachusetts. And, they should, and the general's like, don't worry, I'll take care of it from here. Also, did you notice that... Uh, that um, Somehow the National Enquirer found out about the alien skeleton and hasn't published already. Yeah, that was weird, right? I forgot. It's actually the national national informant in this show. But like, mm-hmm. there's just some weird thing where it's just like, also tabloids in this world can leak government secrets. It's just so you can they can show the magazine later. That's the only point of it. Yeah, so. just shorthand. Mm-hmm. Um, but we also catch back up with Teen David and his bro from the gymnasium. <laughs> They're off to Boston to uh, visit the History Museum on a field trip. But uh, his friend, who I still don't know what his name is, uh, Chester, he, uh, what, what does he say why he likes going to the museum? It's, it's so insane. They're at this museum on a field trip, and <laughs> David's like, science is boring. Why are we here? And uh, his buddy's like, it's not so bad. Look at all these topless statues we get to look at. <laughs> hey, I mean, he's found a part of history he loves. It's disgusting. His friend is disgusting. <laughs> And it's just like, it's the equivalent of like, not mannequins, but sort of uh, life-size uh, recreations of like Neanderthals and stuff. Yeah, he's just like, this is hot. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, but while they're there, I guess because the general found out about the fingerprints of Rita, they figured out where David is. Though I didn't understand this. Like, that's supposed to be the big reveal. It's like, because they now know that Rita's fingerprints were on the alien skeleton, now the aliens know where they are. But the aliens knew where they were 17 years ago I know. when they attacked King Kale. When they left. So I just didn't understand what... Like, there's no... It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make sense because when you went back into the past and when... Uh, what's his name? Rafe? Is that his name? No, Kale. When Kale yeah. left, they shouldn't have been in, in Massachusetts then. They should have been somewhere else. And then they should have cut to that. They were, they, you know, to give the implication that they've been moving a lot, which they say later. But you're like, but you're in the same house that you were in earlier so it's like yeah the aliens have known for all since he was a toddler yeah so for 17 years they took a break they forgot where he was but now they know again they've sent two blonde very blonde very motorcycle driving alien bounty hunters to get him i like that the um male and female of these aliens because of one scene reveal that they need they both have to have the exact same hairstyle it's so funny and like they they find him in the museum they're like they do the eye test to make sure he's an alien, so they're they're kidnapping the right person. And of course, you know, David David goes on the run, he doesn't want to be kidnapped. And the aliens reveal that they have like superhero powers, but also they hold hands. They have Jedi powers, is what they have. And that's true, Jedi powers. But they have to hold hands to make them work or something? Did they? They had to hold hands? I don't know. Like sometimes like when they first start using their powers, the two blind aliens are like they hold out each other's hands and grab them like the Wonder Twins or something. But basically what it is is the thing I mentioned earlier is there's a reveal scene where David thinks he's following the girl and it turns because the hair and it turns around and it's the guy and he's like, "Whoa, that's not who I like." And then it's the big fight scene and they try chasing him and use their Jedi powers, but he escapes again because everyone's super ineffective in this world. And does he jump into a, oh yeah, Rafe saves him. That's how he gets out of this one, right? So in the first episode, we had the mom getting, the mom saving uh, Kale with a Jeep. And in this one, David's getting saved in a Jeep by the uh, uh, Rafe, the the sheriff. Yeah. (laughs) He basically runs out of the museum. Rafe pulls up. David jumps in. And uh, Rafe's there because he also saw the National Enquirer article on aliens and knows they're in trouble. They all have subscriptions. They all have subscriptions. They know it's the most reliable alien news. <laughs> it's like Men in Black. That was the thing on that, right? Exactly, exactly. So he's just like, we gotta, we gotta get home. We gotta rescue your mother, and we gotta get out of town before uh, your uncle, your your uh, former uncle, the dragon, comes after you all. And and they get ambushed by this trench coat man on the way back. And this is what you're thinking of. Basically, Rafe has to stay behind to like defend David as he runs home. Right, and right. Now we see the trench coat men are also capable of flying like they have unlimited superpowers <laughs> yeah so they chase him actually it was a kind of a neat scene because he's running through the trees and they're above him flying but they can't quite see him because of the tree cover and so they have like little laser lights that they're trying to track him by and i thought it was i didn't love the animation but i thought the actual idea of it could have been a cool kind of cinematic scene yeah, I mean, it's like a, it's kind of a cool cinematic scene where like a helicopter flies over the woods and shoots like streams of light down trying mm-hmm. to catch the, the fugitive. <laughs> yeah, but they um, don't because he's the hero. They don't because he's the hero. He, he gets back home and of course Rita's there. She's been uh, captured by these trench coat men as well. There's a, bit of a, there's a bit of a scuffle there and then Rita pulls out something that Kale left for her to help her whenever she needed it. This like little white crystal orb. Ball. Yeah, a little crystal ball. Which, uh, for me, was the best part of these two episodes is somehow, I guess, using the power of love, she activates the crystal ball. And it essentially becomes like a miniature black hole, basically, 
imploding the house, sucking in all light and matter into it. And like, it just like grows. And then like, you see a house like implode and she's killed. The trench coat men are killed and David escapes. It's good thing. She just didn't use that on like a Tuesday. huh? <laughs> it is true. I also like that Kale gave her no explanation for what it was and what it would do. He's he, he just like left. He's like, here's a crystal ball. Uh, you'll know what to do with it. <laughs> yeah. It'd be like, it'd be like, Hey man, I got to leave town for a while. Here's a nuclear warhead. Just uh, just leave it on the table there. Well, I think she did have it on a mantelpiece or something. It was just like the most dangerous weapon ever. It was just like <laughs> sitting out. She had no idea. Uh, I did like the effect, though. The effect of it working was like no, one agree. of the funner parts of the show. But yeah, and there's like a kind of... crater left in the end. Yeah, and this is kind of where the episode wraps up. Uh, Mom's dead. David's alive. And Rafe shows up. He's like, we got to go. It's yeah. time to go on the run. Yeah, and to be continued. To be continued. Where will we go next? Mm-hmm. I don't have any thoughts. I do have one final note on it that I thought was in, it was not it was not insane, but it's just like a funny choice is all of the aliens, the, the the way they've been directed to voice act is the most lethargic. They all have the most lethargic <laughs> speech patterns. So there's no energy or like it doesn't. I don't I don't feel any like like need for speed with them. They're like, we're going to invade Earth. No, please don't. It's just because all the aliens came from small towns on their alien planet. Everything's a little slower, you know? They got a little drawl to them. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I don't know. Weird first two episodes. I know we're going to talk about ratings now. It's actually a little difficult to rate these because I almost feel like we need to have episodic ratings and then an overall rating because this is clearly going to be one story, one extended uh, story. So it's like, it's almost like reviewing, you know, 10 minutes of a movie. Yeah, that's true. It's like, that's, you know what? Let's do that podcast. Let's remove movies. Let's review movies 10 minutes at a time. It's almost a little unfair to rate these because they're, the installments are so short. But to be fair, they're the ones who decided to do it. And now they're going to get destroyed. How did you like the act of this one, Bart? Yeah, exactly. But well, anyways, what did you think of the first episode? Listen, I think I get that it's aimed at a young adult audience. So it's maybe not as... Some things are feel a little more dumbed down than they should be. It's not terribly sophisticated. And I think it suffers from, like, it feels to me like that old X-Men animated cartoon. Like, it's aiming for something a little more heady, but for a younger audience. I just hate that it, like, it sort of does those things that, like, the shortcuts you take because you only have 20 minutes and it's animated and it's for kids. So you, like, you're like, ah, you don't need to explain why they knew where the kid was and lost track of him and then 17 like they, they like kind of like whitewash over things like they're like ah who cares it's for kids they don't ask these kind of yeah questions and it hurts the show i think because i do think people do ask those questions no I, th- I think you're right i think they want it both ways they want this to keep the attention of let's say kids or young adults so there's they want to jam as much action and adventure as possible but at the Expensive logic. Exactly. So you lose a little bit of that. So if you're a little bit older watching, you're like, but why? What does this matter? So they just, there's not as much story here as I think maybe they need to make this be a little bit more effective. Yeah. I mean, so I think for the pilot, I think I'm going to go 5.5. I actually think like because the story itself is kind of pretty cliche and like run of the mill it feels like an average episode of a sci-fi pilot i think just because it's animated you get a little more action they can pull off more stunts and effects and cool stuff which is where the 0.5s may be coming from but i think i'm gonna go 5.5 yeah i'm gonna give it a six i'm gonna give it a little bit higher than you i think i like the car driving into the helicopter and i very funny and i do like that 
I know it's our first animated show, but I think it's our first real action-based show, probably because of the animation. And it's something that maybe is done a little too much, but it's something that's been lacking in a lot of the other shows we've seen because of budgetary restraints. You don't get a lot of action scenes. So because of that, I'm like, oh, it's kind of new and and different for us. So I'll give it a six. Fair enough. You know what? You make an interesting point. If anything, maybe they should have just turned up the action and just like had david as a kid on the run with no idea what's happening and like yeah. had the exposition come along the way because i do feel like you're right i think if it had just been like non-stop action with no time to ask, ask any questions maybe is maybe it's a more interesting show because i don't have to know all the cliches right away well there's there's almost two shows happening you have this whole bunch of uh back history that they want to get across but then they also want to jam it as much action as possible so you get these two not quite streamlined uh, things happening in the episode. Yeah. What about episode two, uh, The Sun? I'm going to give it the exact same, six out of ten, because I think it's, for all intents and purposes, the exact same episode that's just extended. And I really did like the scene where we come back to see uh, Rita for the first time, and she's doing the very cliched thing of tending to the grave of her dead husband, even though he's not oh, yeah. dead. I just, I just love when you see these sorts of things over and over. I'm like, because if there's one thing you do as a widow... It's tend to the grave. That you built on your house's property. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's just like, you know, sure, of course. Not that I wouldn't do that as a widower, because of course that's what I would do. It just is, <laughs> you know, it's cliche. Yeah. You you intend to bury your significant other in the backyard. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Who doesn't? <laughs> um, yeah. I don't know. You're right. I think I'm going to go 5.5 again. I like the action sequences in this episode a bit better, but like that, the museum part was so dumb. <laughs> Oh, and let me mention one thing I think is uh, a bit of a strong point we didn't mention. I think the music's really good in this. Oh, you know what? The music, when that orb absorbs that house, is great. I was like, this is great music. Yeah, yeah. It's almost distracting because it's so uh, cinematic in that very John Williams-esque sort of way that it almost feels like the animation and everything needs to be bigger than it is because you're like, oh, this is really epic. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, that wraps it up for the first two of these. Um We'll see how it goes. I mean, it could get better. Like, it could, maybe with all this exposition out of the way, it's going to be more fun. But, I don't know. It could also get much worse. <laughs> I have a feeling that we're going to be in this sort of uh, one-step-forward, two-step-back sort of thing because they there's actually not that much of a plot. But I'm, I'd be happy to be wrong. And I'm a little worried. We haven't spent much time because it's been so action-heavy for David. I'm a bit worried he's going to be... Uh, a bit of a Wesley. Hard to like. Mm. Well, would you rather have him be of a w- bit of a Wesley or a bit of a... Uh, uh, what's his name from Tech War? Wait, was there a kid on Tech War? No, no, no. The main character from Tech War. Oh, I'd much rather that be him. Well, because you know what I mean? That sort of like lead character we've seen in a lot of these shows where you're just expected to like them just because. I mean, I'd prefer a stupid swagger to a solid team. <laughs> uh, you always say that. I always do say that, don't yeah. I? My motto. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, that about wraps it up. So uh, if you have any thoughts on Invasion America, <laughs> you can email us at continuedragonsgmail.com. And of course, on Instagram and Twitter, we'll have some uh, little clips from the show so you can uh, check out what we're watching. Review it for yourself. Yeah. Um, I wonder how it's, uh, it's going to play in a little uh, 10, 15 second increments. It's, I think it'll be interesting because often the science fiction stuff we do when we show those 10 second clips, it's of like a practical effect that's kind of fun to look at. Whereas this time you're looking at like a more cohesive animated version, like it doesn't stand out from reality as much. I think all of our clips should be of the alien race speaking really slowly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sure we'll find some good clips of that for sure. It's like, well, I guess we'll fly out to Earth. 
Uh, but that about wraps it up so listener thank you for joining us and jordan i'll see you next week see you then continuum drag is recorded in toronto ontario theme music by james rex seedler produced by jordan dulloch and luke black special thanks to aaron Hughes.